Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four terrifying tales for you about undetectable demons, sinister swamps, towns out of time, and the death-scented depths of a lurid lake. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which includes the first two stories, if you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and or other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. It's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn down the lights low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. Our first story this evening is by author Andrea Giolino, entitled Something Happened in the Psychiatric Ward. 
I'm a medical student, and in the last two weeks, I've been attending the scheduled internship in psychiatry. I happen to be very interested in the subject, to the point of considering it as a career path after graduation. And as it happens, I've gotten into probably the best department I could have ended up in, or the worst, depending on your point of view. It is a sort of intensive care unit, but for psychiatric patients. They basically get the worst cases, patch them up as best as they can, and send them to an appropriate structure. Everything is locked up and strictly controlled, as we get a bit of everything, from those at high suicide risk to those suffering from bipolar disorder or schizophrenic people talking to God, who incidentally is always their father. The problems with these last ones come when this God tells them to beat up other patients, as obviously they are infidels. Things went on with ups and downs and the usual problems tied to the profession, such as the guy who walked in and went on to casually announce that he was carrying a number of knives inside his suitcase, or the ex-convict who insisted on coming into the doctor's office because he disagreed with the therapy and decided to sit beside me while he vehemently argued with the on-duty psychiatrist. I kind of hope I was still there, sitting beside the ex-convict, and trying to make myself basically invisible. Five days ago, a middle-aged man, I'll call him Mr. R for privacy's sake, came in. He did so of his own volition. In his words, he really needed for them to be silent for a while. R's appearance was a bit peculiar, balding and stocky. He had a sallow complexion and wore ill-fitting sunglasses, like always, outside as well as inside. His mannerisms were unconventional as well, Twitchy and nervous, he always seemed to be on the lookout for something. Some might think that it wouldn't be so strange to see someone behaving like that in such a place, but most patients usually looked lost and confused, unfocused, as if they had too many thoughts at the same time, or not enough at all. He was nothing like that. He, at most, seemed slightly distressed. I was given the opportunity and privilege to attend Mr. R.'s first session, as proposed by the doctor, and under the patient's agreement. He agreed. It's safe to say that I was absolutely fascinated by his case. You see, most schizophrenic patients start suffering from an early age, usually around 16 to 18 years old, from auditory hallucinations, which can take different natures. Some insult the person, constantly degrading them to the point of driving them to suicide. Some tell them what to do and can be rather dangerous. Another common characteristic is that the patients are completely unaware that the voices only exist within their minds and only they can hear them. R was an exception in every respect. First of all, he introduced his case by stating clearly that he was aware that the figures he saw, he was the only one who saw them. It's the sickness that makes me see them, he said. That's right, he didn't just hear, he saw things. Not people, figures. He called them demons, four of them. He could even describe them in detail, saying horns and claws and cold, dark eyes that looked like pure void. 
They could even turn to a more draconic appearance when they turned more hostile. They could even wear other people's faces as their own to trick him. The first time they appeared, it was in his mid-thirties. As he came home, he saw them trying to possess his mother, and they tried to use her to kill him, he said. They hadn't left him since, and only Med seemed to keep a hold of them and at least make them silent. He kept telling us about them, adding details and stories each time until yesterday. Then something happened. During our third session, the psychiatrist asked him where those demons were. R silently pointed at the windowsill. The very same windowsill I was standing next to, silently taking notes. Are they telling you something? asked the psychiatrist. No, they've been silent as of late. Do they do something? Are they doing something right now? R looked around, a bit in distress, but eventually nodded. What are they doing? When I didn't hear an answer, I looked up from my notes. R was pointing directly at me. What are they doing? repeated the psychiatrist. They're looking at him, staring. Now I couldn't help but feel a shiver run down my spine. I knew those were just hallucinations, but his finger was pointed at me. His face was the stuff of nightmares. Sometimes, in the last few days, they disappear. When I find them again, they're with him. They've been following him. The psychiatrist glared at me with a furrowed brow. Do you know what they want? Do they want to use him to do you harm like they did with your mother? No, not at all. They don't want to hurt me. Today, R came directly to me as I was getting ready to go home, taking off my white coat. He took off his sunglasses and looked at me with those eyes, dark and endless, as if made of pure void. Thank you, doctor. Finally, I'm free. I'm writing this, sitting at my desk a mere half hour later. I'm writing this to make sure someone knows what happened, and that I'm not crazy. Because I can't see anything, nor hear anyone. But I can feel their breath on my neck. Part 2 Hi, my name is June. I'm posting this because I'm not really sure what else to do about what I found, and no one is probably going to believe me. Hell, I, I don't believe what I'm seeing myself. The thing is, 21 days ago, my friend Kyle disappeared. He wouldn't pick up the phone or answer my message, and he was nowhere to be found. We contacted the police, but they weren't able to find him anywhere either. He simply vanished, no trace anywhere, not even in his apartment. They thought he'd just run away. I heard one of the cops saying he ran away with a hot flirt. They don't know Kyle, though, but I do, and that's not him. Furthering my suspicions, a couple days prior to his disappearance, he started behaving in a peculiar manner. 
He's always been quiet and reserved. It took anyone a good while to get to know him. But once you managed to get into his more personal sphere, he was an amazing friend, passionate and warm. The last time I saw him, he was so weird. He looked scared of me, or of something. He looked like he was trying to dodge me. He even refused to look me in the eyes. I've never seen him like that, so I was worried, and then he just vanished. It's been horrible. Today, I came back to his apartment again to see if I could find anything new, in the desperate hope we missed something. And when I tried to put the key into the lock, the door, it just sort of fell. It was unhinged. Here's where I found this absurd note. I don't know what to think about it. It doesn't make sense. And it's not even a suicide note. It's just nonsense. I don't even know why, but what freaks me out the most is that his writing has always been so steady and precise. This is not him. Never mind how absurd the content is. Something very wrong happened. I transcribed the mess, but the way he wrote it, it gave me chills. It's just wrong. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you're reading this, it probably means you found me, which is bad. I'm not even sure where I am anymore. They've been messing with me, made me see stuff, do stuff. It's been hell. I had to flee, hide. I couldn't let them harm my friends, my family. Those things have been following me for God knows how long. I have... Several memory lapses, sometimes they would just hijack my body and I'd lose control of everything and for I don't know how much time. Time. Time feels almost meaningless now. Those demons? Oh, they're not demons. They're something else, but they're real. Trust me. I can't see them. No one can, but they're real. I can see their effect on me. I, I, I can feel it. Their touch is like hot coals on my skin, bruises and burns appearing in the shape of their claws. They're still like electricity frying my nerves. That's not all. When I saw my eyes in the mirror, I knew. Those weren't my eyes, so I started wearing sunglasses. No one can see those eyes, black pools of pure void. It was not safe for anyone to be near me, so I hid. I was scared of myself. 
Memories are a blur and clear, but some stuff I remember distinctly. One woman in particular, well-dressed, elegant, kind eyes. She was married, had a wedding ring. I was lying on the side of the road. I was trying to pull myself together. Hadn't eaten in days. She touched me to help me on my feet to see if I was all right. She took off my sunglasses. I so wish she just ignored me, but she didn't. The look on her face still burned on my mind. I can feel still the presence passing beside me so clearly as they jumped the woman. She felt them too. They're with her as well now. At first I thought they left me that I was free. Shortly after, the scorching of their grip manifested again, as angry as ever. They didn't pass. They spread like a disease. Beware of anyone with sunglasses. I don't know what they want. I don't even know if they want. But I met a man who claimed he could see them and that they could talk to him. Don't even try to find him. I tried to search for his name and there's no trace anywhere. No one's bloody seen him. I don't even know who he was or what he was. He's the one who attached them to me. I have my ideas. Maybe he was one of them. Or maybe. Oh, maybe he was just like me now and found a way to get rid of them by passing them directly to someone else. Me, to be more specific. I can't do that to anyone. I could never forgive myself. I've done already enough damage. You probably won't believe me, but please, please... If you see me and I'm alive, you are in danger. Run. There, alongside this note, I found him. He's dead. I won't go into detail. Let's just say I'm trying not to puke. That rusty metallic smell, the blood, it's everywhere. He was my friend and now he's dead. While I was transcribing those words at Kyle's PC, I thought he had lost his mind, that whatever happened to him shocked him so much that he made up the story to cope with it. Well, right now, I'm starting to be inclined to believe him. Or maybe I'm losing it myself, who knows. But as I'm writing this something, I'm not even sure how to describe it. I'm looking at him and signs are appearing like someone is carving them on his skin with a knife, but nothing is there. I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe I should heed his advice and run. Those are not signs, those are words. They say, still here. Please, help me. Our second story this evening is by author Adam Gray, entitled, I Don't Swim Anymore. I grew up in Oregon, right on the cold, dismal edge of the Pacific Ocean. 
Fifteen minutes in any direction would take you to a beach, an open expanse of sand dunes, a national or state park, or one of about a dozen permanent lakes. For years, every summer, we'd go to a family friend's house to use their lakefront property and their dock. Looking back, it doesn't seem like much, but I can remember spending countless hours there, swimming, kayaking, paddleboarding, and snorkeling. When I was 12 years old, I refused to go again. I hated the lake. I hated that house. I had nightmares for years and never explained to anyone why it happened. I still don't like to talk about it. Whenever I do, I feel like I can smell that lake again. People don't realize, but lakes are dirty places. Animals defecate in and die in them. All kinds of plants rot on the surface. People dump their garbage. There's so much water that stays clear that people think it's clean. It's not. All the lakes I've been to have a certain smell, like they're not totally pure. This lake, my lake, slowly developed a smell like death. Now, that sounds dramatic. It's not like you could just sniff the air and think, well, that's death. No one would have gone to the lake if it had been like that. It was just a subtle thing that you caught a whiff of once and then it was gone. Maybe you looked around for a dead fish or a squirrel or something and then you forgot about it. I probably only noticed it was getting worse because on most days I was there from sunup to sundown. The dock our friends owned was a simple hand-built thing that involved styrofoam and treated two-by-fours. A few times it had come loose from the rope that held it and had drifted across the lake. It sat sandwiched between two bigger and more impressive boathouses. As you faced the lake from the shore, the boathouse on the right was freshly painted bright red and housed a small white fishing boat. A simple pulley system allowed the boat to be lifted out of the water while it was stored and for the majority of the year when it wasn't being used. We never saw inside the boathouse on the left, and we also never saw anyone use it. It was made of plywood that had once been painted dark green. Though years of weather had warped the edges of the wood, and it had shed about half its paint. That summer, when I was twelve, it disappeared, and we all assumed that it had just been torn down so that it wouldn't be such an eyesore. That summer was the first one that I got really into snorkeling. I had explored the surface of the lake many times before in a boat, but that summer I got to see a whole other world hidden below the surface. My friends and I caught salamanders, built things out of cinder blocks on the sandy bottom, and found everything from fishing lures and golf balls to pieces of old boats and docks from the past. As you might have guessed, the lake was pretty small, but it was frightfully deep. Huge trees would fall into it on occasion, becoming waterlogged, and would turn vertically with only their roots or broken bases poking above the surface. A swimmer drowned there once, and even though they used scuba equipment to try and find the body, it was never recovered. At a depth of about ten feet, the water was already as cold as it was in the winter. At about fifteen feet, it was dark enough that a thick forest of weeds were able to grow on the bottom. Beyond was just cold and darkness. 
My friend and I devised a plan to use an upside-down plastic barrel full of air and a boat anchor to allow us to dive much further than we would while only holding our breaths from the surface. We'd go out to the dive spot using a surfboard, then, with the barrel covering our heads and masks, we clutched the anchor and jumped off, quickly sinking to the bottom of the lake. You basically dove blind since you had the bucket over your head. We could go far enough that the pressure would compress the air in the barrel to about half its original size. All we had to do in order to surface was release the anchor, and the barrel full of air would propel us quickly to the surface. Then we'd reel up the anchor with a rope and start again. This was fun for us to see how far we could go, and we got pretty good at it. The only bad times were when we would land in deep weeds, which instantly tangled around our legs and ankles. We never got seriously stuck, but it would freak you out when you were expecting to land with both feet on the sand and instead landed in the weeds. On a successful dive, you could see about five to ten feet in any direction, and looking up you could see the outline of the sun and the long shadow of the surfboard. The last time I ever dove into the lake... The last time I ever swam in open water was when I found the remains of the neighbor's boathouse. It was the first dive of the day, and we had paddled the surfboard straight out from the dock a bit further than we normally did. It was about 10.30 a.m., and the water was still slightly cold from the night before. I put on my mask and snorkel, put the bucket over my head, and curled my legs around the anchor like normal. This day, my friend had brought his father's underwater flashlight, so I readied that as well as the bucket above my head and took the plunge. I remember falling a long time, too long, because the pressure was pressing my mask against my face uncomfortably, and the air in the barrel was compressed to smaller than I'd ever seen it. The rope holding the anchor pulled taut, and I almost lost my grip. I don't believe in the little voice inside of a person that tells them the difference between right and wrong. I did, however, experience a very loud message from inside myself telling me that this was not a place I should be. It was too cold, too dark, and the pressure crushed in from all the sides. It wasn't the first time I'd realized the absurdity of our little diving system, but it was the first time that it had struck me as being truly stupid. My body gave me the message loud and clear that I was an idiot, but my curiosity ultimately won out. Just a quick peek. I lifted the barrel above my head and got my first sight of how deep I'd come. I was suspended on a rope between the gradient of gray-green above me to only blackness below. If I could have looked at myself from the outside, I'm sure I'd have resembled a worm on a hook. I had to let go of the barrel with one hand in order to grab the flashlight tucked into my swim trunks. The air in the bucket strained to float up and the container tipped at a dangerous angle, but the bubble of air being so compressed stayed intact. I clicked on the flashlight, shining it right down in front of me. A thin beam of harsh white light sprung into existence like a camera flash, and what I saw there... People, pale faces through thick, motionless black hair, staring up at me from inside the remains of that old green boathouse, flipped upside down or fallen apart. 
They were there, right below me. I screamed and dropped a flashlight at the same time as I kicked off from the anchor. The barrel started pulling me up to the surface faster and faster. In a complete panic, I thrashed my remaining arms and legs in order to try to go faster. I had expelled all of my air and I felt like this was the moment I was going to die. I felt sure that they were right behind me, their pale hands inches from my ankles. From one moment to the next felt like an eternity. The end of the rope fell past me. Ten more feet. Nine. Eight. Fire in my empty lungs. I don't remember breaking the surface. I do, however, remember being on top of the surfboard, alternately breathing so hard that I couldn't cry, and crying so hard that I couldn't take the breath as my friend pushed me to shore. Once I reached dry land, I left without looking back. I felt then that it was so crazy that I couldn't tell him or my parents or anyone. There were people down there, not living people, but dead ones with empty eyes staring up at the gray, faraway surface. They must have been weighted down or restrained. I don't remember. What I do remember is that as the flashlight fell into the weeds, it shone on the most horrible part of all. The legs of one of these things had been roughly sewn together to create the image of a grotesque mermaid, including a large and elegantly shaped black tail. For a long time after that incident, I tried to pretend that it hadn't happened, that I hadn't seen what I thought. Trees or logs, not twin female bodies. A patch of sand through the weeds. Anything to not have to accept a reality that that scene could exist in. As an adult, I've had to accept it. I still see it in the dark. I can't escape it. I've realized that whoever owned the boathouse must have been experimenting. The swimmer who disappeared was probably one of those victims. I don't know who the other woman might have been. Somehow, the bodies would have to have been preserved. The only evidence of decay being from the eyes which still stare at me in my nightmares. I'm still torn between wishing I'd investigated and learned more about it, and wishing to hell that I'd never, ever seen it. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases including premium versions of our other shows such as the Simply Scary Podcast and Horror Hill. Not only that but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thank you very much for your support. Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jivey channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.